0: If you would open your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter five, verses twenty-three to twenty-four. What we find in in those verses is a is a benediction. There's various ways to think about and define benedictions. Nothing really crisp. The word benediction, it means benediction is good words. So that's what a benediction is. Benedictions typically take things that, that we know, but brings them to, bring them together in such a way that they to, are to immensely encourage us and focus us and, and provide for us in just an abbreviated form, great truths, all sorts of information is brought forth in them. And the goal is ultimately to breathe life into the people of God. So it's good to have a goal with, with a sermon. God can do with any sermon what he wants to do, and that is multifaceted sometimes. But here's my hope in this sermon. My hope is that by the end of this message, you will find that this benediction that we're going to look at this morning does indeed breathe life into you. It breathes life into you now, and you can go back to it and look at it later, and you can feel that life coming into you. So here's here's the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It starts with the God of peace. Now may the God of peace himself. So, so peace. Peace is certainly the absence of war and of conflict and of unrest. It, it is that, and that's why we commonly use it in our, in our culture, in our world, But scripture, as many of you know, goes far beyond that. It's not just the putting away of those things. It's moving in another direction as well, where there is well-being, where there is wholeness, where there is harmony. And what we find here is that God is the God of peace. It's an attribute of his. It's the reality that he experiences himself, especially within the Trinity, It takes takes community, it takes relationships to experience peace. And so God does that within the Trinity from eternity past. Well-being, wholeness, and harmony mark who he is and what he experiences. And over peace, God is the one who rules. He's the one who reigns over it. So again, our God is the God of peace, and that is a character trait of his. And Jesus brings peace. God's character trait of peace gets manifested to his people. So it comes to us. Just just a few references. At his birth, it says this in Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So Jesus came to bring peace. And then in scripture, over and over again, there is a sustained emphasis connecting the grace of God with the peace of God. And we find it. Remember, we're in the end of 1st Thessalonians. This is how 1st Thessalonians starts in chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, now note the order. The order is important. God brings his peace to us. And the result of his grace coming to us means that we also then receive peace from him. And then in Colossians 1.20, when the provision of God is spoken, what God gives to his people on a regular basis, it includes this. He brings peace to us. So Colossians 1.20 again. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, now this benediction, these, these good words were to bring a focus to the Thessalonians, and they're to bring focus to us. If we were to work through that, that first letter to the Thessalonians, we would find that they were a people, an early church, that was being disturbed by a lot of conflict. There was unrest. There was persecution. There were false teachers among them. And Paul reminds them of this at the very end. As he's leaving all of that, he says this to them. Our God is a God of peace. And he says the same thing then to us. The ways that we are disturbed, the experiences maybe that we have are are different. But we also experience conflict and unrest in various ways. And God would say to us this morning this. No matter what that unrest or unease or disturbance is that comes in is coming into your life, that your God is a God of peace. You see, peace is the lens through which to understand this whole benediction. This benediction opens up as we look at it through the lens of, of peace. Our God is independent of our imaginations. He is a God who has objective reality and has engaged and does engage us with that reality. So our God is the God who is real and offers us real peace. That's what we find coming in these verses, Not, not merely feelings of peace. Certainly, we want that. We don't want to be devoid of that. We want the feelings of peace. But God brings us something so much more, so much more solid, so much more foundational, so much more real. He brings us the objective reality of peace. So we have to start as we talk about peace. We need to start here. Justification. Because justification is the very beginning of peace. Now, now the benediction starts, may the, uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. We don't find any mention of justification. It doesn't show up in our passage, but it has to be assumed and it has to be addressed. See, Paul declares that God is the God of peace and wants to extend that beyond justification to look at where else it goes. Yes, justification has taken place, praise God, but there is more. And so he's going to extend it in this benediction. But we need to talk about justification to look at the whole, the whole issue of peace for the believer. Now, now, Pastor Dave did a masterful job of addressing justification in his sermons on the cross. But for the sake of seeing the whole landscape of God's peace for his children, for us? Let's start here. In fact, if we're to understand sanctification when we get to that, we must first understand justification. So talking about justification, the issue is this. A sentence sentence of guilty hangs over us. We are born under the condemnation of God. So we're apart from God, apart from God's intervention, we then are enemies of God. That's the reality in which we live. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 not living within the grace of God, and certainly not at peace with God. So what's the provision? How do we come to peace? Well, Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin. Jesus took on himself the penalty that was mine. Jesus took upon himself the payment that I owed as a guilty man. Martin Luther used to talk about the great exchange that takes place at this point. And we see that great exchange in 2 Corinthians 2.21, where it says, For our sake He, that is God, made Him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the great exchange that takes place? Our sin placed on Jesus. Jesus' righteousness attributed to us. The great exchange takes place. That's the provision that's laid before us. So what's the engagement of that provision? How do we take hold of that provision? Well, by grace alone, through faith alone. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God is the God of peace from beginning to end. And every step even of our salvation, as we'll see, is ultimately the work of God. So even in this passage, not a result of work so that no one may boast, we often think of the grace that's the gift of God. But in the context of this verse as well, even the faith is the gift of God. Without God giving us both his grace and giving us the faith to, to respond to the provision we will not be within the peace of God. So what's the result then when we take hold of that provision? Well, it's justification, a legal declaration, not guilty. In the the praise song that, that is sung sometimes, the line, once your enemy now seated at your table, that's a declaration. I am now at peace. I can sit at table and commune with you because of what was done at the cross what I laid hold of. So the result is to be at peace with God. We must start there. But the reality is this, that if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you did that one day, the next morning you woke up and your life was still a real mess there were a thousand outposts of rebellion against God and against his word in your life that were still there. And the ramifications of all those positions of rebellion were still there in your life. There becomes the, an understanding that you're in significant need of renovation. And that is the work then of sanctification. So sanctification, then, is the process of peace. Justification is the beginning point, but sanctification is the process of peace. Think of it that way. That draws out the relational and experiential aspect of what's going on. I'm not just making little things right. I'm becoming at peace with God in these areas, bringing my life in alignment with what is right and good and healthy and life-giving. So, sanctification is the process of peace. So, in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. So, in justification, I'm declared at peace with God. In sanctification, I make progress in that peace. So, the issue Issue. My life is in need of significant renovation. Again, there are hundreds of outposts of rebellion, areas where the realities of my life are at war with God. At war with God. My words, my emotions, relationships with family and friends, how I do my job, how I handle my money and my possessions. All of those and more are outposts of rebellion where peace has not. It's not raining yet. And the desire, the work of God in my life is to touch every one of those outposts with his grace and to progressively bring my life out of rebellion and into peace. So what's the provision? Well, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now I say that and God actually provides multiple resources for our sanctification to bring us to that place of peace. He gives us the Bible that, that we hold before us. He give, gives us brothers and sisters that sit around us and walk with us. He gives us all those and more. Those are means of grace. But the core provision that God gives us for this sanctification is the indwelling Holy Spirit. So Romans 8.11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And the indwelling spirit engages then in the fight. How do we engage then the work of God in our lives? In justification, we bring faith. Faith engages, takes hold of the provision we saw. In sanctification, we bring work. We bring work to the process. We bring effort and striving and fighting and running. We bring human endeavor. If you don't have to bring those, how else would we understand all the instructions and commands of Scripture, real commands with real expectations? And the Holy Spirit, we bring human effort, and the Holy Spirit works. The morning after you wake up from being justified, the Holy Spirit starts to do his work. As well, a new awareness of sin and new desires to fight and new energy to overcome sin. One of my favorite passages that wraps itself around both of those is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And note this. Just as the faith to receive grace is a gift from God, so the ability to work out your salvation is ultimately a gift of God. Did you see it? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The result Progressively experiencing the peace of God in various areas. Possessions, relationships, emotions, words, and on and on the list would go. So the God of peace himself is at work and I am progressively experiencing the peace of God in the realities of my life. Now, let's talk about, let's talk about justification in relationship then to each other. We don't want to think of them in isolation. We want to think of them in tandem. Justification is legal, external, objective. It's a declaration. Sanctification is internal. It's a process. It's experiential. But think of them like this. Think of them as getting a house or buying a house. Justification is like buying the house, and it's a real fixer-upper. It's a handyman special. God purchased us. We are his. He has full ownership. And when you came to faith in Christ, he got a fixer-upper. There was a lot of work to do. And sanctification is that work, that renovation work of the house. God begins that renovation work by the Holy Spirit coming alongside and giving us the power for the effort to do it. Now, let, let me drive home one point that, that wraps around this, this connection between justification and sanctification. The point basically comes down to this. Sanctification is essential. Sanctification is not optional. No person will get into heaven who has experienced, they say they've experienced justification, but has not experienced sanctification. Scripture never talks about it. Apart from each other, justification and sanctification are essential together. Let me take three shots at it. First shot is this justification must come before true sanctification can take place, and sanctification must come after justification. How else when would you read if that's not true, how else would you read James 2:26 For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God's work of sanctification is just as sure as his declaration of justification, and without sanctification, there is no assurance of salvation of justification. Second shot at it. Grace and peace. we talked about grace and peace. I did earlier, how grace and peace and the order is important. And grace, when the grace of God comes to our lives, it comes not only with pardon, but it comes also with power. So First Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So so peace, by God's design, is not only a legal standing, but also experiential engagement. The faith that justifies true faith, always has in itself the faith that sanctifies. Third shot, the design of our salvation is for the producing of a holy people. So Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, it's talking about husbands and wives, but it gives the illustration then, it anchors it in this understanding of Christ and his church, Christ and us. So in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives, As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Do you see it there? That he might sanctify, he bought a body to be his people, to sanctify her, to bring holiness into her. So the design of our salvation is for the producing of a holy people. The point I've been driving home is this. God never purchases a life without moving in, and he never moves in and doesn't do significant renovation. Now we have justification, we have sanctification, but we also have glorification. It shows up in our benediction as well. Let me start at the beginning of verse 23. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants to drive home this aspect of blameless because he said it earlier in 1 Thessalonians 3.13 where he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This, This is the in reality, the completion of our salvation, total peace realized. So in justification, I'm declared at peace with God. In sanctification, I make progress in that peace. In glorification, I come to the completion of peace with God. In glorification, you become in actuality what you have been declared to be and what you have been striving by the power of the Spirit to be. Not just legally declared, right? not just progressively renovated but actually and totally clean before God. And it comes when you stand, when we stand before our God and his presence by either death or the coming of Jesus. And here's what will take place. Philippians 1:16. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you think back to justification and then work through all the sanctification. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or 1 John 3.2 Beloved, we are God's children now. And I understand when he says God's children, not everybody, I hear people say, well, we're all God's children. That's not the way scripture talks. God's children are those who have come into relationship to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's who he's talking to. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We've been justified, you and I. We're being sanctified, but what we're going to be? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. That's Glorification. I was thinking this morning of the, of the old hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. One of the, the verses goes this way, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, Dressed in his righteousness alone, Faultless to stand before the throne. That's glorification. That's being blameless. There's a fascinating thing in Thessalonica where this this letter was written to. Archaeologists have unearthed tombstones that go back to the time of this first century church. And just as some of us have things that we place on tombstones of loved ones, things that mark them, and for some of us maybe things that mark our relationship with God, so they, they were doing the same thing. And the thing that you find over and over again on the tombstones of these first century believers is one word. And it's in Greek, but it's this word, blameless. Blameless. To be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Thessalonians certainly found life in this benediction, in these g- good words. They took so hold of this, this benediction that they labeled themselves as it as blameless now a final word the final word is this faithfulness faithfulness is the assurance of peace to us so verse 24 he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it on what do do you and I have this assurance We have it on the faithfulness of God and the expression of that faithfulness into our lives. When it says, he will surely do it, do what? How far does his faithfulness go? His faithfulness extends to this, to justification. He will stay true to his declaration of not guilty at peace with God. Why? Because God is faithful. And his faithfulness extends to sanctification He sanctifies, he renovates the lives of those that are his, increasingly at peace with God, in alignment with God. Why? Why do we have that assurance? Because God is faithful. And glorification. He will bring all his own to glory, a state of total peace. Why? Because God is faithful. Let me read one other passage that draws so much of this together. And with this, I'll end. Romans 8, starting with verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect?